Welcome back to the First Touch Podcast. I am Tyler Brook, joined alongside Nate Canan. Nate, how you doing, man? Hey, buddy. I'm doing all right. I'm feeling a lot better now that I've had uh, some caffeine in my system. I uh, walked over to Starbucks, got uh, one of those new... Uh, there's like these summer nitro brew drinks. I'm not a big Starbucks guy. And by the way, this podcast is by no means brought to you by Starbucks. But Starbucks, if you're out there, hit us up. I don't know. I wanted to get one of those. I've been trying to wean myself off of this caffeine addiction. I feel like I have, especially, you know, now living in quarantine where the coffee pot is like five steps away from me at all times. I just really wanted to go through today without having coffee, but I love just like these different kinds of drinks. You know me, I have been ordering all these weird flavors of different coffees from like all these different companies, just trying them out. I feel like you don't really get on these like seasonal trends as much as I do. I mean, you, you know, I'm a big pumpkin spice latte guy. Gross, man. Have some respect for yourself. I'll do coffee with sugar and cream. That's as wild as I'll go. Just give me black coffee. Ideally, the thing I miss about my office, cold brew. We had cold brew kegs, just cold brew whenever you wanted it. And you want to wake your ass up whether it's right in the morning or right after lunch, cold brew will do exactly that. Dude, just step into the kitchen of the First Touch podcast. We have just as good of a coffee set up here. I got a cold brew press. I got an espresso machine. I got a little Mr. Coffee coffee pot. Hell, I even got a French press. We got it all. I need to start making orders in the morning and have you make them. Yeah. I Oh, what was that one trend um, of the instant coffee that was going around at the beginning of quarantine? Do you know what I'm talking about where um, no you idea. take the, the Folgers instant coffee? Have you ever had instant coffee? I genuinely don't know. If you don't know, then you probably haven't. Instant coffee is just like this crystallized popped rock. Like they literally look like pop rocks. You know, the candy pop rocks. Is it like the crack equivalent of coffee? Probably. It's probably the crack equivalent of coffee. It's like you need a fix and like you don't got time. It's just like hot water and pop rocks look like coffee. You mix that bad boy together and then you got a cup of just nastiness that's going to get you wired. That sounds awful. It's just 80 as, as, as you can be, I feel. Oh, that's pretty on brand for you then. But there is this thing where you would take the instant coffee and then like a couple of cups of sugar and then you would just pour hot water into a bowl and then you you take a mixer and then you would just mix that bad boy for like five minutes and it would turn – I don't know if it has something to do because it's like that crystallized coffee, but it would turn it into like essentially like this coffee foam and then you just – you throw some milk or you take uh, your, your almond milk, soy milk, you put it on some ice and then you just whip this coffee over ice and you got yourself a little – frothy little coffee drink i know i was living my best quarantine life and doing that at the beginning of this i don't know why we started a soccer podcast man you could have gone off and done a coffee podcast apparently this is now a instant coffee podcast brought to you by soccer talk yeah but anyway we got a great episode um if you haven't tuned off by now we got a great episode in store for us today we're going to be talking about in the bulk of our conversation about the ballon d'or we'll go into some history about it as well as we're going to have one of the returning members of the FTFC podcast, Bundesliga Borelli, calling in to give us his picks of who he would have awarded the Ballon d'Or since it's not happening this year. As well, a Bayern Munich fan, I wonder who he's going to pick. Right. Yeah, we can already guess where this is going. But I do think since we kind of figure out where this is going, he's going to have good perspective on 
why we need to be talking about those players that we're not mentioning at this time. But Tyler and I will be talking about our picks as well. And we're also going to have on the back end of the episode today, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, we'll talk a little bit around the net. We actually have a pretty interesting story that was leaked to us. I still got sources. I know it's not my full-time job anymore, but you know, I still talk to some people with some connections, uh, surprisingly still overseas. So we have a little bit of a scoop about potentially a future destination for the one and only Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah, so definitely stick around for the back half of the episode where we can jump into some uh, juicy transfer rumors in regards to that. Of course, Tyler's going to be mentioning uh, some sports betting, and we have a very tragic story about some bets that we heard as well going around. Uh, Pour some coffee out for that one. Um, And also... Later this episode, Tyler's going to be announcing his uh, Serie A allegiance. Thanks again to all the wonderful FTFC members of the First Touch Football Club out there that wrote into us to give us their submissions and pitch Tyler on who he should be rooting for. And of course, we have the local shout out of Pub of the Week to uh, close us out today. Pub of the Week. So Nate, what'd you watch this week? Well, Premier League's over, and I'm just waiting. I'm just like, I feel like I'm that that meme of SpongeBob at the uh, at the diner in the middle of the with night, the just with the coffee, with the coffee, with the coffee, just waiting. And so I'm like, okay, six more weeks until Premier League's back. We got Champs League at least in the meantime, and also I just wanted to do. I did text you, sorry, man, after the Tottenham draw thinking you guys did not get into the Europa League. But congrats, you guys made it to the Europa League. Yeah, um, it was a great way to finish out the year. Obviously, we wanted it to be a lot better than what it was, but considering the twists and turns that came our way, I'm happy the way that things panned out. And I'm very excited for the Amazon documentary of Tottenham to come out. I'm very impressed with how Harry Kane finished the season. I will give him credit. You know me, I'm not a big Harry Kane guy. The fact that he is basically my age if not younger, floors me. I thought he was like 35. Credit to him. He played really well these last few matches. I'm just sad the Wolves didn't get in, man. I really enjoyed watching them. They had a lot of talent. I love their manager. just sucks we won't get to see them in any of these tournaments next year. If Tottenham didn't make it, it would still be a great team to watch. I mean, I'm not losing any sleep over Wolves not being there because I need them to not be there for an order for Tottenham to be there. So definitely... Very okay with that, but they are a great club. Watching the last few of these matches, this last match week was just crazy with all of the relegation matches happening in the Premier League as well as just figuring out who's going to finish in those top four spots. As the, the last podcast, that order was different. Now we have Leicester out. We have Manchester United at third and then Chelsea sitting at fourth, which is crazy to me. You got to think about the truly epic collapse Leicester had to not make the Champions League. They were firmly in third place before Project Restart. You can look up an article on 538 if you Google Leicester. Uh, It is statistically unprecedented how much they fucked up. Well, that's where I think now is worth mentioning. Is this the breaking point for Leicester? Is this no longer the era of Leicester football? Is this going to be the point where they start going on the decline? Because they were a team that's never really been in the top five, let alone the top 10 in the past decade. They, Whenever they won the Premier League a few years back, that was unheard of. I know you're a big betting guy. I remember hearing those, like, if you put $10 on the Foxes to win the Premier League, you would have walked away with, like, $7,000 or something like that. 
yeah, it's it's truly incredible they do. I am I'm a little concerned. It's been a fun team to follow. Do they have the financial backing to afford to stay around as teams like Arsenal and Man United and Chelsea just start throwing money at their problems? Is there any issues that you think that Leicester is having in terms of like have a theory on what what's not working for them right now? Do you think it's any like player, any sort of position that they're missing? Or if not, like, do you think it's just maybe like a mentality thing that they're having? I think what's really interesting to just mention in this as well, you have the golden boot winner on that team and they collapsed. I don't think it's anything about the players that were on the team because as we saw before the restart, you know, they were still in third, firmly in third. So I think it was a mental thing. I think they just thought they're going to come back from Project Restart, don't have to work that hard. They're going to cruise into the Champions League. And then I don't think they expected Man United getting as hot as they did, which ultimately led to their downfall. That's fair. I wanted to spend the majority of today talking about the Ballon d'Or. Since we were getting ready to record this episode, we found out not only is the event for Ballon d'Or canceled, the award itself is not happening this year. The committee in France determined that it essentially was not fair to have the Ballon d'Or presented this year since Ligue 1 cut off early. It was just such an unprecedented event that any award that was given this year be given an asterisk. But the fact that there is no award was upsetting to us. So we thought it'd be a good idea to talk a little bit about what the award is, where it came from, and then have our boy... Bundesliga Borelli come on and us give some picks. The Ballon d'Or, otherwise known as the Golden Ball, is its literal translation. It's the annual football award presented by a French news magazine called France Football. It's one of the oldest uh, trophies out there. This originated back in 1956, so it's an award uh, going back 64 years now. Um, It's the most prestigious award in soccer, in in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would think of that as well. You can compare it to the MVP award. It compares statistics as well as just overall performances of players from all of these European leagues. So what I found interesting about this, you know, originally this was an award that was only for players from Europe, and it was known as like the European Football Player of the Year. But back in 1995, uh, it was expanded to include players from any country of origin, but as long as they had played for a European club. Uh, However, in 2007, they just said, screw it, we're doing anyone from anywhere playing anywhere, uh, which I think is how it's always should be. It's just a little crazy to me. Most notably, uh, Pele never actually got to win a Ballon d'Or during his career because he is Brazilian. This is actually really cool. In 2014, they actually awarded what they called a Ballon d'Or Prix d'Honneur to Pele, essentially as like a, hey, you very obviously should have won the Ballon d'Or in your career. We're going to give it to you. At this point, there has not been another post-career award winner, although I'm very curious to see if they do that again in the future. Yeah, uh, this would be the one time that I think, you know, maybe a few years down the line that they could retroactively give someone a Ballon d'Or. The reason why we're having this episode today is that, you know, France is not giving out the Ballon d'Or this year because of all things considered. I think it's very interesting that statistic that you bring up about Pele, that's the one player that I think is the most notarized person in terms of the sport throughout the entire world. You ask anyone if they ever 
heard the name Pele before, they're going to, even if they can't recognize that face, they're going to at least associate that name with soccer. One other bit of information in terms of the history of the Ballon d'Or, I actually didn't know about this until researching this a bit further. There was actually a partnership with FIFA. There was the FIFA Ballon d'Or that existed from 2010 uh, until 2015. So it was a five-year deal where there was voting within the FIFA organization on who would be awarded this trophy. Uh, now it's just back in the hands of that publication, the French news magazine, France Football. I kind of wish it was a FIFA award. I think there is some allure or mystique to not having it be associated with FIFA. I think we'll talk about this in a little bit with Borelli, but I do feel like there are some biases with it being an award from a French magazine. But at the end of the day, it seems like for the most part, they've tended to get this award right. I'm going to actually disagree considering how many how many instances of corruption there is within FIFA. I think kind of taking the voting process outside of that realm is probably within the best interest. That's fair. Just some more information on how exactly the winner is chosen. So they initially shortlist about 30 names in contention for the Ballon d'Or, and it's assembled by the editors at France Football. And then after the 30-man shortlist, a jury of journalists representing a variety of footballing nations are put together, and they will then be given the task of voting for players that they deem worthy of first, second, third place. And then after that jury is selected, they will then choose their top five players from within that 30-man shortlist that I was mentioning, and then they will rank them based upon a different merit, essentially. And those merit factors include individual and collective performances, so the winnings of the current year, the player's class, essentially like the fair play that they have or the talent that they show off and just overall judgment of the player. So it's not necessarily just like statistical, here's the amount of goals that you have or how many goals did you stop? There's a lot of factors that's not necessarily like hit this marker and then you're in the running. It's a bit more subjective and obviously some own personal preferences can come out, but ultimately I do think they do get this award right. And just one thing to mention though, in the last 10 years, there's only been three individuals to win the Ballon d'Or and that's Messi, Ronaldo, and Luka Modric. That's not that surprising. Uh, you know, Ronaldo and Messi have just dominated the last decade plus. So absolutely makes sense. Uh, I'm excited for us to give our picks and have Bundesliga Borelli on here as well. Anyway, let's hop into our conversation. We're going to uh, get Bundesliga Borelli here on our conversation here with the First Touch Football Club podcast. And we are very happy to have a member of the FTFC here joining us to talk about their Ballon d'Or picks. We have Bundesliga Borelli here with us today. How you doing over there, Borelli? Doing great, guys. Happy to be back. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. And so we obviously have already been talking a little bit about the background history of the Ballon d'Or, what it signifies in terms of this sport. And we know we wanted to have you on the podcast because as we already talked about in one of our earlier episodes and the problem of the Bundesliga, we know you're a huge fan of these other leagues outside of the Premier League. And I have a feeling that when it comes to our own discussions, we might tend to lean a little bit more heavy on these Premier League players. But I think you might bring in some other perspectives 
perspective on who you think should be the Ballon d'Or winner if there was to be someone gifted this award this year. And we're getting to your individual picks a little later. And what we're going to do is we'll go through, have a bit of a discussion on who each of us think deserves to have the Ballon d'Or and then who our two runner-ups would be. Uh, so let's go through first with Tyler, then we'll jump over to you, Borelli, and then we'll follow up with myself. I got to say, I guess before we get into the conversation of who we think should be awarded the Ballon d'Or if there was to be one, um, like what's your whole take and perspective, Borelli, on why this isn't happening? Do you think this is solely because of it's like a COVID thing or do you think there's a little bit more behind it as well? Uh, so, I mean, there, there's obviously a few factors here with all the international play being cut from this year and not, you know, being moved to next year because, you know, the Ballon d'Or doesn't just pick players from club play. It's also through their international play as well. So I can see that being a factor. Obviously, the French League cutting its, you know, season short by, I believe it was 10 games you know, I guess that doesn't make things fair, but let's be real here. Most teams still finish their seasons, and we still have Champions League coming up next month, but they decided to not do it so there wouldn't be a asterisk next to whoever won this season. I personally am of the opinion, let's say Liga 1 continued and then like the Bundesliga did not, I am firmly in belief because this is a f- award in France that the trophy would have been awarded. I just think there might be some political reasons behind it. Yeah, like let's say Mbappe or Neymar had a killer year and they were in contention and they played that full year. I think it would have continued so that one of those players could win it. Uh, I just think there might have been some more motivations or even you know subconscious biases. It's one thing to cancel the event. It's another thing to just completely cancel the award itself. It's just so strange, man. I think there were a lot of very deserving candidates, some potential first-time candidates, as I'm sure Borelli wants to talk about. I I think I have to agree with Tyler. I think some politics did play into this. With Neymar and Mbappe really not having standout seasons, nobody from the French League really putting out to be a contender, maybe. Maybe that's another reason they decided to cancel it altogether. At any rate, I'm going to give you guys my picks. In reality, how I'm going to do this, I just want to go about players that I actually watched this year. I don't think it's fair to speculate on guys I didn't watch full-time. So that being said, my Ballon d'Or pick would have been Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, No, that might be a little bit of a hot take, but I don't think I saw anyone this year the entire year be as dominant as De Bruyne. I mean, you look at his Premier League stats – Uh, In 35 appearances as a midfielder, 13 goals and just a ridiculous 20 assists. Free kick master, incredible passing. Even though they couldn't win the Premier League this year, I know they were still a dominant team, especially since Project Restart. To me, as far as any player I watched, this was a no-brainer. I just thought De Bruyne was the most impressive in the most competitive league. I think De Bruyne should definitely be part of this conversation. He's not my top pick. Um, I don't have him in my top three either, but I would definitely put him in my top five. His performance with City, you know, all those stats that you mentioned, definitely worth discussing and talking about. Do you think the international play is as strong when it comes to De Bruyne though over the past season I mean it's tough because we haven't seen them finish the Champions League yet 
and they did not finish out in any of these other tournaments. So, you know, there's limited game time in these other matches. So I do think that dings him a little bit just because all we have is Premier League play. But again, that being said, from the body of work, I just think I'm, I haven't been more impressed with anyone I've watched, especially in the Premier League, than Kevin Drupoina. And I do want to take this time to say Jordan Henderson should not have won Premier League Player of the Year from the Riders. Even as a Liverpool fan, I think that's ridiculous. KDB should have won that award. That is a hot take. I mean, I get it. Henderson's a great story. He's the captain of the best team. But as far as production, it's insane. How could you vote for him compared to KDB? No, I, I, I actually, I totally, wow, I'm losing words here. I'm shocked uh, that you as, you know, diehard of a Liverpool fan that you are, are willing to admit that that's uh that's honorable as far as fantasy production too like you guys are aware this was my first year in fantasy premier league Mm -hmm. Uh, he was the top scoring fantasy player as well by a pretty wide margin and sealed it with that final match of the year every time i watch him he does something i'm like how the hell does a soccer player do that so that's my my topic yes and including in this conversation the, the carabao cup city won this year and kevin de bruyne helped yeah, and it, finishing second in the Premier League, definitely a great feat, and as well as the Carabao Cup victory uh, earlier this year. Um, I don't think it would have happened as easily without uh, KDB having a, uh, as strong of an impact as he had with that uh, Manchester City side. So I'm going with KDB as my winner. I intentionally tried to choose players I didn't think you guys were going to choose. So for my runner-up, although I will say Pirelli is probably more qualified to talk to him than I am, I went with Cristiano Ronaldo. Juventus wins their ninth straight title. He goes off for 31 goals and 32 matches at the time of recording this. Adds another six assists on top of that. I know a lot of those were penalties, but 30-plus goals and a league title. That, to me, is... If you're Ronaldo or Messi, I guess you automatically get bonus points. So I'm... Putting him as number two, I just think, again, it's Ronaldo. Yeah, and I think one thing that I want to mention um, in this too, in terms of this conversation, I've seen a lot of posts uh, around the net where people are complaining about, oh, if Ronaldo or Messi were in contingency for the Ballon d'Or this year, there still would have been a, a crowning champion for this. And, you know, I think it's very interesting that people aren't saying that Ronaldo or Messi would be in contingency for this because they've had two stellar seasons, especially Ronaldo. Um, I don't think this has been his best season in the past few years, but the, the things that he's still accomplished on the pitch are, are, are remarkable. You just said some of those stats there, and even just watching him play, like he's still in top physical condition and shape, and he's making great things happen, including another Juventus title. I will say this. The one thing I really appreciate, even if it is annoying for some fans, uh, there's no voter fatigue on the Ballon d'Or. Unlike, I think the best example of this is the NBA with most valuable player. Basically, a new person has to win every year at this point. If it was, if voter fatigue wasn't a thing, I'm convinced LeBron James would have won significantly more. Kobe Bryant would have won more instead of Steve Nash. Uh, so, even if I get annoyed by Messi and Ronaldo always winning it, I do respect the writers for not getting that voter fatigue. I mean, like, what do you think about this, Borelli? Because I think you and I have had this conversation before at one point in time. Do you think that the Academy is just so is just giving this award to either Ronaldo or Messi too easily at this point? Do you think there should be a stipulation of like you can only win this award once? 
I don't think that it should be only a one-time thing. I mean, you look at some of the seasons that when Ronaldo and Messi won the award in the past, the hands down best players in the world in that season. And actually, I mean, with them finishing first and second all those times, do I think in some of the more recent times uh, they were kind of handed the trophy? Sure. But, you know... I'm happy that Tyler brought up Ronaldo because he does not make it into my top three, but he would be, yeah, but he would be in my top five because I mean, first of all, this guy gave us one of the most spectacular goals of the season. I mean, jumping so high in the air and getting that extreme header goal. Not yeah, that, I just got to interrupt you. That's a sick goal that you're talking about. I don't know if you've seen the video, but we should uh, post a link to this on our social media. I know that there was a video um, of just like people trying to mimic the height of that header and just like a random, like I think it was a like a street in, in Italy somewhere, like yep. just people just trying to make that jump and no one coming anywhere near as close. No, it's insane. The physical form that he is in, even at this age, And I'll give him a shout out. He's got two games left to play and at 31 goals. You know, uh, going into yesterday's match, he and Immobile were tied. Uh, Now he finds himself, I believe, two goals behind Immobile after uh, Immobile got a hat trick for uh, Lazio. So, I mean, he's still in contention for best goals or highest goal scorer in Italy. You know, they still have the second leg of Champions League. I think he could have been a contender for Ballon d'Or, but he, again, doesn't make my top three. He he would be a top five pick. I struggled with number three. I wanted to include a Liverpool player. I thought a lot about my biases. I got talked into it from some friends. That I, mentioned it. I think I had difficulty choosing a specific Liverpool player because so many people have played well. But I'm going with Sadio Mane. It is my favorite player. It is the guy that got me into Liverpool. I'm just going to say it. I think he had a better year than Mo. And when you look at the numbers, I mean, 18 goals, 9 assists, and 35 Premier League appearances. I'm still sad about the Champions League, but another two goals, two assists in the Champs League. He seems to step up in big moments. He is just such a such a perfect guy on the opposite side of Mo to take pressure off. It's so hard to defend Liverpool when you don't know where the attacking is coming from, but Mo's always due for a big goal. You know, I've given you a hard time over Liverpool ever since you knocked Bayern out last season in Champs League, but Sadio Mane is literally one player nobody can hate on. He is such a phenomenal player to watch. And then off the pitch, he's just an incredible human being. He had definitely a better season than Mo Salah this year. I mean, I just, I freaking love watching him play. It is just magic when he's on the ball. Uh, Nate's not going to like what I'm about to say here. So if he cringes, please just, you know, let me know so I can visualize it. Oh, absolutely. His field awareness And in the first minute of Champions League final last year, when he had the ball, saw Sissoko's arm up and just smacked it into the arm for that PK. I mean... He's not cringing. He's just speechless. 
But I'm sorry. I mean, it takes a special kind of player to have that kind of awareness once they get the ball and see that opportunity and capitalize on it. I just really appreciate his confidence. You, you're right. When he gets in the attacking area or the penalty area, he's so creative with making men miss. And it's just that confidence to you know take a strike because he's so skilled more often than not, it does end up in the back of the net. Okay, I guess like I will comment on this because it, it does tie into the way that he performs overall. Yes, the guy's field awareness is nothing like I've never seen before in a traditional soccer player. I think he like takes a different kind of edge and approach to the way that he can just maneuver the field itself. So it is very, very fun and entertaining to watch him whenever he does get an opportunity to take the ball in any direction. So yes, Borelli, you're right. Whenever he does see a, a large arm in front of him in the box, he can just kind of tap that ball up and get a handball in a very crucial moment because he's so insanely smart in a different kind of way. So once again, top three winner KDB, Cristiano Ronaldo, Sadio Mane. I'm going to pass it over to Borelli so I can shit all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Um, well, We'll start with my number one pick. I wonder who it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To no surprise, Robert Lewandowski. Yes. Uh, I mean, WWE fighter. Like, I've I've got questions now. You know, I wanted to have you on so badly to talk about this topic, and now I'm regretting it. (laughs) You know, uh, after that introduction. If you guys were over here, you'd see I actually dressed up in full Bayern attire just for this uh, to get me amped. So let's get into this real quick because, honestly, no other player this season deserves this award more. All right? So just to point out a few things, this guy in the Bundesliga season scored 34 goals and four assists in only 31 games. And on top of that, won the domestic double. They won the league, and they won the Pokel. So, there you go. Uh, Also, they're still in Champions League. And uh, he's the leading Champions League scorer this season. The only other player who could even come close or, like, break his title, really is also Gnabry on Bayern. So, you know, I, and also, I, I again, Nate, I'm just shitting on you all. all are, are you about to reference the game in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where he scored more goals than – I'll just let you take it away because yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I'll let you yeah, have he, it. He was the top scorer in your new stadium, like over Kane. Oh, God. I, I just yeah yeah if you didn't know that stat that's a true stat he's the top scorer in tottenham hotspur stadium robert Lewandowski, everybody no 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 that's uh Gnabry. oh excuse me excuse me <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll just uh skip back to Lewandowski here so on top of that uh winning the domestic double being the top scorer in the champions league right now 34 goals four assists and 31 games in the bundesliga he set the record as the Bundesliga's all-time leading foreign goal scorer. Currently, the top goal scorer in Europe, well, kind of tied at this point, but 
if you add in Champions League, the man has 51 goals in 43 total games. So, so I want to ask you a question uh, in regards to him. Um, and I've seen this question populate a lot online in terms of just like frustration for fans of him, fans of Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's ever going to get a shot at the Ballon d'Or again? Um, he is 31 years old at this point, And granted, that's uh, still younger than Ronaldo and Messi, and they're still very much engaged in this conversation. But sure. they're just, you know, as we said, like some of the all-time greats to ever play this game. Not that um, we, we should say anything negative about Lewandowski here, but do you think he's ever going to be someone that we can name drop so heavily in this Ballon d'Or conversation? Like, because it does kind of feel like for a Bayern Munich fan that like this can be a bit of a robbery for them. Um, look, as a Bayern Munich fan and the Ballon d'Or, I'm used to being robbed at this point. We got Oliver Kahn, who's been robbed. We had Frank Ribery, again, who got robbed. Uh, so yeah, you know, the, this robbery this season, just, no, I'm used to it at this point, but do I think that, uh, Lewandowski can continue to score goals? Yeah. Again. But it's not scoring goals, Borelli. What I'm saying here is, is that even though you might have a player that can, like him, like, let's just say he has another season just like he had. Uh, this year, but the sure. the error of margin is so small in these conversations because, like, if he had one goal less or two goals less, there could be another player, another individual that has one or two goals more, or just does something that takes it a bit further in terms of overall like field presence that kind of makes them being a bit of a more standout player. So that's why I think it's it, it, at least my own opinion, it's a bit of a, a shame for him to you know like not be able to have this real conversation like they, like we should have. So that's just it. I do think, I mean, even at 31, this man's playing the best football of his entire life. So you know what? I think even in this moment right now, I do believe this is only going to fuel him even more so going into next season. Because the other thing too uh, that I didn't bring up is there was some international play that happened this se- season. Uh, even though, you know, all the qualifiers got kind of taken out. But uh, he did play 10 matches for Poland, and in that got six goals and two assists on top of that. This guy doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. I think Lewandowski, this will fuel him even further for next season. With the squad that Bayern's building for next season, I think he's he's going to be set up good for, you know, going at this award another time. If I knew if I knew you weren't coming on the show, I would have also said Lewandowski. I think it's pretty clear just from the matches to goals is just incredible. Only negative I'm gonna say about him, and I'm sorry, Borelli, but we talked about this when we were last on. Compared to the other players playing competition, he had it easier than anyone. I just think even with Juve being more dominant as far as consecutive titles, there's more competition in Syria, in my opinion, than the Bundesliga. And that's the only reason why he didn't make it into my top three. He would be in my top five, but I, I agree with Tyler with that, is that he ha- like he is a great player, but I think if you throw him into Syria, if you throw him into the Premier League, if you throw him into uh, La Liga, he's still going to do well, but maybe just not as well. Like He has a great team to back him up, and he also just has overall easier competition. Wow, you know... I got to be honest here. 
I also pointed out the facts that uh, Bundesliga's got better defense than any of those leagues. Well, maybe aside from Syria, Syria's got arguably the best defense. But we're just gonna we're just gonna bite our tongue on that one. We can't get into this conversation again. <laughs> plenty of times off the podcast. Re- refer to episode three. All right. Anyways. Um, all right, so I could go on about Lewandowski all day. Uh, the latest news is Bayern Munich's CEO did come out and actively say that it is not very fair. He feels Lewandowski would have uh, claimed the award, and uh, they are launching you know, a few things towards the uh, French group to see what can be done. I don't think anything will be done, unfortunately, again. As for my... Other two picks, runner-up. So I went into two other picks. They did not win their leagues, but I I think they're well-noted and uh, deserve to be talked about as well. My runner-up is uh, Chiro Immobile, uh, Lazio striker. The man is so insanely fun to watch, Uh, and I'm, I'm happy I got to see him play live last year when Lazio won the Coppa Italia final. To give you an idea, this guy, he's got a total of 34 goals going into the Serie A right now and seven assists with two games left yet to play. Uh, He's also got two goals in Europa League, uh, but also he led his team to win the Italian Super Cup this year as well over uh, Juventus. I I think that's a good selection. He was one of the guys when we were talking this week about who I want to root for for Syria, and we were having all of our followers give their pitches. I know that's someone we had talked about previously. That kind of production is impressive. I think what he does not have going for him is name recognition among casual fans, like maybe a Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski, someone like that. He's Italian, right? Yes, he's Italian, and so. But I am basing my picks literally off of club play, and he's had a phenomenal season. What he's done with Lazio this season is just incredible. Being in the fight, leading Lazio to their mo- their longest streak of unbeaten play, getting them in the Champions League again, or actually getting them in the Champions League this next year, so... I get what you're saying. It's like basically like if international play wasn't a thing, he should be talked about. But in terms of some of these other players, they have been making an impact and that's worth discussing. If we were to remove that from his conversation, he would stand out a lot uh, taller. Exactly. And I do think he would have more name recognition if he did do more for the Italian team. Like, Go ahead and give us your third, bro. We're ready for it. You know, I really did not want to pick him. Uh, my I'm third listening. and final pick is Messi. Um, oh, okay. I didn't want to pick him, guys. I wanted to go for another obscure pick, but so no, I respect it. So there's some overlap here. Messi's in my top three. All right. I mean, look, the man—he is by and large the most entertaining player for me to watch. The man runs the least amount on the pitch, but has the most impact. Um. I, I'm going to, after this podcast, I'm going to text you guys a show that you need to watch uh, on Amazon. Yeah, but I, th- I think like in terms of this conversation yes. with Messi, you're right. I mean, like I'll just say some things here too, since he is my runner-up pick as well. 
you know, he broke the uh, La Liga assist record this year, still having an incredible season. They're still in contingency um, for the Champions League. I mean, also, even using his own words, like he's been on a struggling Barca side and still producing all this insane, these insane stats. I don't understand how Barca is struggling with everything going on, but the man has 36 games, 27 goals, and 25 assists. In any given season, if a player hits 25 goals, they get recognized. You add in the fact he had 25 assists, that's unheard of. It's a combination of breaking records. It's a combination of breaking records, being Leo Messi and having insane statistical production. He is, uh, yeah, he's messy. Like, what else can you say about it? I will say well, the only thing that I think that we can use against him is probably – I know we just said you got to throw out the international play, but then like why can't Argentina produce? And that's – we could probably have a whole – Why couldn't Barcelona produce in the La Liga? How do they not win the league with how much talent they have? We talked about that last week. Yeah, you got Luis Suarez. You know, you, I mean you have incredible talent there. Arturo Vidal who went from being a bench player to a starter – I don't think it's Messi's fault there. I mean, you look at Argentina's national side, you got Lutaro, you got Papo Gomez. I mean, they are so strong. But one thing I've learned in my whole thing is, or, you know, my whole career of playing and watching is it doesn't matter if you have all the stars. It's how you play together and just your chemistry. There's a mental toughness or mentality thing that I just think is missing, and that's why I didn't have him in my top three. I wanted him in top three. I kind of assumed you guys would also talk about him. I just think that he does have that kind of mental toughness. I mean, if you watch the guy play in practice, he always leaves it all out on the field. I don't think there's ever a moment that I see like a a sleeping Lionel Messi out on the pitch. It's just incredible the way that like he can maneuver himself, the amount of technical skill that he has whenever he touches a soccer ball. He can make miracles happen time and time again. And like it, it doesn't matter what season it is if he's having a slower season. And like again, like the I think the only reason why uh, Barcelona went as far as they did this year was solely because he put the team on his back. And that's why like you see these assist records being broken because he, in order for them to get as far as they had, he had to do something incredible, and that's where he was setting up his other teammates to capitalize on opportunities. And that's why you have an assist record being broken. I'm um, just, I'm just really disappointed that I didn't get a shit on your picks, Burley, because these are actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did my research. As a, as friends of the FTFC may know, a favorite pastime is shitting on Borelli constantly. But we love you, Bundesliga Borelli. Thank you so much for your three amazing picks. You you gave us great perspective. I'm going to take the spotlight now. And I think this is going to be a shocker for all of our listeners of who I'm going to give this to, as well as both of you here engaging this conversation. My Ballon d'Or pick is to a player that goes by the name of Virgil van Dyke. Oh, my God. Oh, holy. Whoa. Can I cuss on this? Wow. Um... All right, Nate, going for a Liverpool player. I'm Before shy. I even input anything, I want to hear your reasoning. Yeah, same. Yeah, so it, it's a lot of things. And one of the things that we have to mention here is like we, we've been talking a lot of statistical heavy things. Like here's how many goals that they have. Here's how many assists they have. Of course, like that's what we need to talk about. You can't win games if you don't score goals. But there is just in terms of like what can you do in terms of 
capitalizing on opportunities and making other opportunities happen that might not necessarily lead to go- like lead to that exact moment of goals. But I think the towering presence that Virgil Van Dyke can bring to this Liverpool side is something that no other player can bring. I think he's the best defender in the world currently. He was someone that finished up as runner-up last year in terms of the Ballon d'Or. And I think that it's just a no-brainer for me to say that Virgil van Dijk should be the person that is getting the Ballon d'Or this year as a defender because he is locking down Liverpool. Like, Think about how many times they've gotten scored on this past season. Not very much. I don't think that's necessarily because he has the most tackles won, but I don't think that someone is going to go up and try to dribble against someone as tall as he is. <laughs> I think they're going to naturally try to avoid him. I think that there is a lot of different factors that, in terms of just the overall field presence that he have, that we can't necessarily write down in terms of statistics, but you watch this guy on the pitch. Again, he's giving his 110% every time, and he's just a great person to watch on and off the field. And I don't think that, like, yes, like we talk a lot about Sadio Mane. We mentioned Mo Salah. But I think the crucial piece of that puzzle is Virgil van Dijk of the one that's actually going to lock them together to make this Liverpool side the the champions that they were finishing 99 points, also winning Champions League last year. Let me just go ahead and say, excellent pick. Love it. You know, all the clean sheets produced five goals in the Premier League. I love that he screams at his own teammates to keep shape. I guess the issue I have with not picking him is last year would have been his year to win it, I think, just personally. And the fact that he finished runner-up in Malindor voting by only seven points, it was something like 690 to 680, give or take. But I remember seven points. Just It was devastating. Again, I just think he had a better case last year with you know the Champions League as well. Winning the title this year gives him that case. I'm more curious for Borelli's thoughts on it. Biased, I would love to see Virgil win the Ballon d'Or. I just think last year was his year. Wow. Um, I'm still in shock currently, trying to find my heart rate here. But (laughs) uh, no, Nate, I don't disagree. Virgil, when I think of colossal human beings in football that I would not want to go up against, there are two that always come to mind. And Virgil's number two. Number one is Latan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't disagree there. I mean, um, Zlatan is what I can look it up right now. I know, six, well, seven, six seven. I mean, Virgil's yeah. six. Four, Virgil is six foot four, so yeah. they're both just very, very tall individuals. Yes. As far as players, uh, I think they could play American football. I think Virgil would be the most perfect tight end. Um, Freddie, who's part of the first touch betting council, and I've talked about this all the time. As far as potential NFL players playing currently, Adama Traore, Virgil van Dyke. I like the pick because I do, and I, I've talked with this uh, with you, Nate, is I do want more defensive representation in this award. You know, as somebody who played defender and then goalkeeper my whole career, uh, I love because defenders is what win you championships. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point with that, Borelli, and this is going to be my last little soapbox on this. And again, like we have the Golden Glove Awards, which we give to goalies. We have the Golden Boot Awards, which we give to the leading scorers. 
I don't really think we need like a golden defender award. I don't know what you're going to call that, the golden shin guard award. But I do think that you need to have, like like you said, more representation in terms of defenders. But I don't think that you should just give a gimme award to a defender. Virgil no. van Dyke is one of the most deserving defenders on the face of the earth. I, I think about I it like offensive linemen in football. You know, they never get the recognition they really deserve. I think defenders get significantly more, but still not nearly enough. Uh, the little stat I wanted to give you guys in the history of the Ballon d'Or, three defenders have won the award. How many keepers? Shut the fuck up, really. Just keep <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I am truth. Like, I'm just being honest here. Like, is it? I mean, we all know it's dominated by strikers and midfielders, but seriously, how many defenders and goalkeepers have actually won this thing? There's only been one goalkeeper, Yashin, in 1963. Yeah. So, and. Mind he you, stopped 151 penalty kicks in his career. Good wow. Lord. I'm so impressed. That's incredible. That, I, wow. We're going to now do a whole episode shifting focus onto this goalie. Stay tuned. Yes, <laughs> I'm in. I think defenders should rank higher in the Ballon d'Or. I, but I do think last year was Virgil's year. Yeah, it's, it's just so hard to do. Um, and again, like, that's like what I was saying earlier with Lewandowski is that there's only such a small margin of error that like if somebody else comes up through the ranks and just has an outstanding season, you're going to get passed on. And I think that's one reason why I'm, I, I think a reason why I can confidently say Virgil is my pick because this season does have an asterisk. We're having this episode picking our Ballon d'Or picks because there is no Ballon d'Or this year. So we can logically say things and throw things out the window and say like, like, yeah, last year should have been this year, should have been his year. But why can't this year be because he also had as good of a season that he could have had con- with with all things considered? Yes, like I know that there was a faster exit to, of the Champions League for them and not as many opportunities that way, but he still accomplished greatness. And again, walking away with a 99-point season um, in the Premier League to win the championship for Liverpool after 30 years, I don't think you have as many victories as you have without Virgil van Dijk on that side. So shifting to my runner-up, we already talked about it. Lionel Messi, um, not much else to say there other than that. Um, You know, he's worth always including in this conversation, especially, again, just the sure tenacity that he brings out to that Barcelona side. They should not be having as many problems as they have. And, you know, quite frankly, like finishing second is not a bad thing by any means, but they could be crushing more and more records with the side that they have. And again, we've already discussed this on previous episodes and Real Madrid gave them a real run for their money. Um, So I think I'm just going to jump to my third pick then. Um, And this should be no surprise to all the FTFC listeners out there, but Bruno Fernandes. I like it, man. I had mixed emotions at first, but I like it, especially given the impact he's had for Man United. Uh, and if you're going off future projection too, like this is a potential finalist or winner in the coming years if he if this trajectory stays the same for Manu. Yeah, I'm just really excited to see his potential because the impact again with the short amount of time that he's had within this Manchester uh, United side is so exciting. And I w- one thing that I did want to throw out there too. Every person that we've been talking about is within the age range of 30 and above, aside from Virgil, who's 29. Uh, Bruno is 25 years old. So great wow. future ahead of him. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I, I did not even think about that age difference until you brought that up. That is honestly pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, 10 years younger than Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Ronaldo, but he could be. He honestly could be. <laughs> what did you say, Borelli? He's you the say that again? of Portugal's team. Uh, he, he plays with Ronaldo on their international team. Yep. I, I mean, I like the pick. The guy's been entertaining as hell to watch. And seeing Manchester United kind of revive themselves this like towards the end of the season, it's crazy. So let me just throw my statistical antidote yeah. here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 14 games, 8 goals, 7 assists. Manchester United finished third in the Premier League this year. Let's think about where they were at when Project Restart came back. It's incredible. Can can you say those stats one more time, please? 14 games, 8 goals, 7 assists. That's insane. Because what it, he's a attacking mid? Yes. What I'm impressed with is, yeah, the statistical production is great, but like we talked about, he's a catalyst for that team, and I think he's brought the energy that Man United needed. You now have an elite pairing in that midfield with him and Pogba. You've got Marcial and Rashford and Greenwood. There's a lot of young talent on there. Daniel James can come off the bench. He was like that missing piece that all of a sudden it clicked for them. And now their offense is kind of scary. Not even kind of scary. They're scary. <laughs> that is a potential future captain for Man United in my eyes if he stays around. I, I think it might be jumping the gun to say Ballon d'Or this early. But I get the conversation and the debate. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely open to criticism when it comes to like jumping the gun. I kind of think that I am here if you want me to be completely honest. But seeing a player like this is something that gets me excited because the again, like the conversion rate is just crazy. And I think just goes to show that like if you can get the right chemistry, the right player in the right place, that like anything is possible. I'd be excited to see like even if he doesn't stay in United and become a career player there, I do think that like he could potentially be a difference maker in any team that he touches. And I'm gonna say this here too. Conflicting reports of what Bruno Fernand's name is. It's Fernand's I know in a few weeks ago, fact checking myself, I said Fernandez. There's announcers out there that still call him that, but his name is Bruno Fernandes. Speaking of, you know, Fernandes and being a future Ballon d'Or possible winner, there is one other player I, I really want to throw in there just because at the beginning of this season, none of us had ever heard of this guy. Erling Haaland? 100%. Oh my God. Starting in the Austrian Bundesliga, scoring 16 times and just exploding in Champions League. Didn't he have a hat trick of hat trick? Yeah, I agree with you to an extent, Borelli. Again, like from doing the research that we did leading up into this episode of finding like who are the contenders for the Ballon d'Or, of course his name is coming up, especially for someone as, as young as he is. Like that's why they call him the Wonder Kid. I think that he's going to have a lot of these conversations about like he could be one of the next greats. However, it's something as we already mentioned before, that league has an asterisk to me. Well, like it's on, just hold on, hold on. He started in a trash league, but made a name for himself, killing it in Champions League. Then in the January window, transfers over to Dortmund, and again still kills it in Champions League. Kills it for Dortmund. The guy scored. He was averaging two, two or three goals a game when he first started. And even, I don't care if you hate on the Bundesliga, the fact of the matter is going from a no-name league, hopping into Bundesliga, whole new team, whole new style of play, and still being a dominant player, 
that's insane. Now, speculations are with his very low buyout clause, he could be headed to Spain. And three different uh, leagues in a matter of a year. I'm just saying he is definitely someone to be in the talks for the future Ballon d'Or. Totally valid. Uh, I appreciate both of you and your picks, even though mine were the right ones. Borelli, thank you so much for coming on. We wanted to cover one more subject before we let you go. Absolutely. Uh, last week, we talked about letting the fans choose my Serie A fandom. And I, before I give it away, I wanted to talk about some of the candidates. First off, thanks for the whole FDFC. We got a lot of actually really good pitches. Got some interesting choices, including Sampador. I heard some AC Milan. I was very tempted about AC Milan simply because of the Rock Nation partnership. But unfortunately, if Zlatan's not still there, I'm not going to root for him. I'm sorry, guys. The one person I have to root for, and Nate essentially talked me out of it, and I think it's fair, was Inter Milan. Number one, those new kits need to be burned forever oh yeah it looks like a picnic table or like i don't i don't even know it's just a really funny kit we'll put a picture up on the instagram for all all the listeners out there so you can check as a premier league fan like i liked a lot of their players you know erickson lukaku all these guys but then we found out they changed their motto recently yeah Borelli. i don't know if you know of this um yeah so really whenever you were on before we were talking about like cultures of clubs and one of those things is obviously like words that stand for the theme of the club itself like for example tottenham to dare is to do that's my own personal mantra now I've, i've adopted that as well i know you also really stand by mia san mia with bayern munich um in terms of Inter Milan, they have a really weird history with their words. So let me preface by what they used to be and what it is now. Absolutely. You can't do, you, do you know the history of this? Laughing. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because it's pretty good. So for, it was what, about 100 or so years? It was, it was a long time. They were, their words were... Brothers of the world, which is just awesome. Yeah, so they were brothers of the world. Which great that that means a lot. I I like that. It's it's tying things together. It's like the whole mission of the FTFC podcast is bringing uh, Americans' perspective to the world's game. It's like it's a global conversation, right? I think that also kind of encompasses brothers to the world. But then it kind of took a weird turn that I don't really like, and it feels very supervillain like. Not for everyone. Not for everyone. How does Inter Milan go from Brothers of the World to not for everyone? So, you just sound like you're a dick. Like you're a hater if you don't like us. Like you're not for everyone. So like the full motto is this soul, this name, this city, not for everyone. <laughs> that, that makes it worse than my Yeah, I, like, I, I feel uneasy now. <laughs> so, I mean... I'll be honest here, I've never been a huge Inter fan. It is interesting. It is very super villain-like. Well, at any rate, so without further ado, the team that I have chosen for Syria is AS Roma. Shout out to Boyan with the FTFC for calling that out. Uh, he gave me a really good pitch, and the thing that stood out to me was just it's a team that always competes but has not won the Italian League in about three decades. Uh, as an Indiana Pacers fan in the NBA, I can very much uh, appreciate that. You know, that's a team in my lifetime, they will never win the NBA finals. But, you know, they always make the playoffs. 
So I definitely resonated with that. I love the kits. The logo is absolutely wild. There are a lot of players to like on this team. Uh, I'm very excited to learn more about the squad. Moving forward, you know, the biggest Roma guy there is, Tyler Brook. Yeah, I got to say thanks to a lot of the people in the FTFC showing you some love and reaching out. We had a lot of submissions for you for picking your new team and like seeing all that uh, fan engagement. I'm going to keep my uh, team under the wraps. I'm a bit more picky than Tyler, um, but stay tuned. We'll, We'll be talking about that a little bit further. Honestly, I just am so excited to get you guys to start watching Serie A more. In my opinion, other than the Bundesliga, absolutely my favorite league. Honestly, it just, over the last couple seasons, has picked up speed again. You know, some really great players coming over. There is talks that uh, Messi being so fed up with Barca may end up at Inter. Anytime that there's a transfer rumor for Lionel Messi, I instantly don't believe it. So when it happens, when it happens, it, it will happen and I will drink an entire bottle of champagne. Not because I want him to leave, but like just because like we will finally stop having Lionel Messi transfer rumors. That's what I will be celebrating is the silencing that echo chamber. <laughs> Nate, could you finish an entire bottle of champagne? I think he could do it. I, I literally want to see this now. <laughs> Let the record- start making calls on Lionel's behalf, and we'll see. All right, if all right. This doesn't happening, Nate on the social media channels will have to chug a bottle of champagne. Oh, no, I'll make that I'll make that verbal commitment now. If Lionel Messi somehow transfers anywhere, I will chug an entire bottle of champagne on our uh, Instagram live. Nate, I will hands down just buy you that bottle of champagne and love to witness this. But can you imagine if he were to go to Syria, you'd have the Messi-Ronaldo fight all over again? Yeah, and it, I think that is something that people want to see. I just think that I don't know. The only the only transfer that I think is legitimately possible is that we're going to have Lionel Messi play for LA Galaxy and then uh, Ronaldo play for like Beckham's Miami team or something. And then retire after a year. Yep that that's what I foresee happening. But then again, I think Messi still needs to figure out a way to get out of that tax evasion thing. That's that's another story for another time. <laughs> oh, um, well, anyway, thanks so much for uh, coming on again, Borelli. The FTFC community loves you, and we love having you on. I'm sure we're gonna have you on again in the future. We're gonna do a a, a bigger exploration into the Bundesliga. I'm sure at some point in time as well. Love to do a deeper dive into that the 50 plus one clause that we talked about last time i'd love to learn a little bit more about that i know some uh, members of the ftfc community have asked some questions about that as well but again thanks so much for coming on and showing us your ballon d'or picks absolutely Huge thanks to Bundesliga Borelli for coming back onto the show. Certainly won't be the last time he is on here. Uh, make sure to follow his newer Twitter account, uh, Serie A Sundays. He will be providing a lot of analysis about the Italian league, uh, like we just talked about. Obviously, I'm looking forward following that a bit closer this year. Moving on to our favorite segment, uh, Around the Net. We don't have a whole lot to cover this week, but we do have something big because it's kind of a, a personal scoop for the show. Yeah, this news is huge if it ends up becoming something. So I do like to think I do still have some sources in the sports media world after you know working for eight plus years in it. I've received some information uh, I can confirm and other media outlets are starting to confirm. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is actually currently in talks with Leeds United, who we spoke about last week, Nate. 
Yeah, I think the timeliness, at least for our podcast, it just makes sense to kind of bring up this topic. It kind of seems like there's two teams in contingency for Zlatan right now, his current team that he's at, uh, AC Milan. He might renew his contract at a lower uh, value, or he might end up taking more money and transferring back over to the Premier League with Leeds United, who has recently promoted into Premier League. How could you not want to see this? I mean, Leeds, again, it's just a historic promotion we talked about last week. I know Zlatan's already 38 years old, but you're telling me you're not going to become a Leeds fan watching Zlatan right up front, just trying to body everyone in the Premier League, even at his age, and try to help you know Leeds become relevant again? Yeah, it's a few things for me, the way that I'm thinking about this. Obviously, as all of our listeners know, he's one of my favorite players to watch. He just has an incredible personality. He is getting up there in age. If you would have asked me whenever he went to Galaxy a few years back, if we would ever see him back in Europe, I would have told you no at the time because, again, MLS unfortunately has that retirement league stigma on top of it. So I was so surprised to hear that he was going to Syria to play with AC Milan, aside from just the rivalries and, of, and disappointing his fans of going to a rival team from his old uh, team that he originally started out with. But one of the reasons why he went to MLS in the first place is that he sustained a terrible injury when he was with Manchester United. He had to get crazy knee surgery, and people didn't think that we would have the Zlatan that we know. He's still performing, and at the age of 38, he's still one of the best players, I think, in the game currently, which is crazy to say. Uh, we talked a bit of the Ballon d'Or before. This is a player who's been in the runnings for this over his playing career, never been awarded it. I don't think, unfortunately, he's ever going to get that award. So that kind of leads me down the two paths. Why would he want to go to Leeds if not just for money? I don't think – think of the personality of Zlatan. He, he, I don't think he – at this stage in his career, he wants to risk trying to create a dynasty at Leeds. Again, we mentioned this before last week. It's a, it's a great sports town. They might have a great future ahead of them. However, within that promotion system of the Premier League, they might just not perform well and they could probably end up in the bottom three. That happens a lot with these recently promoted teams, and I don't think Zlatan's going to necessarily take that risk if that's still on the table. If there's other players that transfer over to this club because there's an opportunity now to compete for that trophy within the Premier League, then yes, I can see him doing this, and I would love to see him do this. However, I just think he might just want to continue to live that Italian lifestyle that he has over in Milan. I think there's a couple things here that make this legitimate, and I think it would be a good fit. One, if you want to talk about Zlatan playing for you know a legitimate team and a manager, you look at Marcelo Bielsa, uh, the manager of Leeds, uh, Argentinian. Just he's become a cult icon, really, in the city of Leeds. I would love to see that relationship just play out. It could backfire horribly, but I would really like to see it. But I think the number one thing why I buy into this is think about Zlatan's legacy of his entire career. He's bounced around everywhere pretty much his entire career. And how fitting of a near-the-end victory lap would it be to go play for a team that has all this buzz around it in the Premier League that's not the most no like not the most notable team because it's been so long since they were in the Premier League. And there's not a lot of pressure on you, right? Like you're not expected to win the league. You just gotta hope to get out, get 16th or higher. 
Yeah, it's obviously plausible. It could still happen. I'm just here making the argument against it. I want it to happen, and I'm sure we would get a lot of more good quotes because I think that he would probably go in there and say something similar to what he said before. He's like, you know, I arrived as Latan and I left as a god. And I know he would jump at the opportunity to prove that point again that he is still a god. And again, that's not me calling him that. He calls himself a god. <laughs> I'll get his kit. Except I will just change Ibrahimovic on the back to God. He signs with Leeds United. Again, this is the Premier League. He loves playing in the Premier League. I think he enjoyed his time greatly at Manchester United. He was being managed at the time by Jose Mourinho. And I think that was a big influence on why he wanted to be there as well. I think you make a good point with the management system over at Leeds. I could see him meshing into that perfectly. He has senior leadership. He could bring something more to that Leeds side. I'm hoping to see this. I just don't know. I, I like it could go in either direction. It's either going. He's either going to stay and just take it the easy way out, but it's just not very Zlatan to me. It just doesn't because it doesn't have that chance at making a huge story. But at the same time. Who's to say what's going to happen over, um, you know, we talked, there's a Rock Nation um, partnership with uh, AC Milan next season. He might want to stay for that spotlight. You never know. Again, he's going to do a mixtape with Jay-Z and then his rap career is going to take off. I think that's the next step. That and Fortnite. I mean, yeah, Fortnite is about the, I was literally just about to mention that if you follow him on social media, he is literally posting a live stream of him playing Fortnite before games, which I find crazy. Again, he's in his late 30s playing Fortnite. I don't even do that. (laughs) But the guy's also slinging gum. He sells gum through his, his Instagram ads too. I think he's preparing for retirement life. I think he's just preparing for retirement life. He, he's getting up there. It's it's coming at some point. Who knows when? So this is my last theory and the last point that I'm last part that I'm going to say to this. What do some of these players do that we know that has this aura around them? They typically have a post football career lined up for them. And I'm going to make a comparison now to David Beckham. I'm going to make a comparison now to Wayne Rooney. Again, two veterans from Manchester United, well as Zlatan. If he ends up going to Leeds, what I could see is happening down the line, maybe four, five, six years, he could easily find himself within a management position within that club. And I think that's going to be a lot easier for him to do that there rather than in a place like AC Milan. I cannot see that man as a manager. I think the players would loathe him. It's like, I think I look at it like if Kobe Bryant was a man, like a coach in the NBA, I think his expectations of where everyone else needs to be at are just way too high and unachievable for anyone that doesn't have that mentality. And then he'll just blow up and scream at you. You wouldn't want Zlatan to be your manager. I wouldn't want him or Kobe to be my manager. I wouldn't want Michael Jordan to be my manager. There's those players that are so great because their mentality forces them to be great. That's true. That's true. But and I don't think that meshes well in a managerial role. No, I could see you, if Kobe Bryant was your coach, just breaking down in tears oh, every I, night oh, if I'd he cry. yelled at you. Yeah, I'd start crying. But I would want Zlatan to yell at me. <laughs> he yelled at me, but like somehow internally I'd feel great knowing that like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just a little messed up and I should talk to a therapist about it. But I think it would be just really awesome to see him in a different position post playing career somewhere and i think that if he's able to make a good connection now within that Leeds united team it could make a pathway very similar to how david beckham was a pioneer is now 
um, very involved within the Miami club and the MLS, not doing so well, by the way. <laughs> but I think I think if he is thinking long-term about his career, like you're saying, even if it's not the best for him in terms of playing, it could set something up potentially down the road for him within years to come outside of playing. I think ownership would be more likely than managing. That's just my opinion. Either or, but I don't see him having the money to necessarily be a full-time owner. I don't know. I mean, imagine all that Fortnite money he's going to be making. Yeah, he just breaks into the world of esports. We'll see. It's time for my favorite segment of the week, which is talking about sports gambling. Before I give my bet of the week, we wanted to talk about something also around the net-ish in what is an all-time betting whiff that just breaks my heart. I remember watching this earlier. Someone bet at the beginning of the season that Jesse Lingard would not record an assist or a goal in the entire Premier League season. Yeah, I get it. Like he's coming off the bench. You know, he's not he's definitely not a star on that team. And the odds were pretty good. It was 66 to one odds. Bet $10, win 660 and get your 10 back. Lingard scored in the 97th minute of the last game of the year. And it was just the most garbage goal we've ever seen. Manchester United against Leicester up 1-0. Schmeichel has the ball and just totally forgets what to do with it. Gives it right back to Lingard. Open goal. Goal. Bets off. This guy waited essentially in a not just like a season, a full calendar year for this to bet to pay off. Is just psyched at the end. And then this happens. I feel like at that point, he's probably not even watching that game. If it's 97, 97 minutes um, into this game, he's like, okay, I made my $660. What a great bet that I randomly made. Again, he only put in $10 and it's not that big of a loss, but imagine that payout. I, I, I feel for him. Pour one out. If you're again, if you're still drinking coffee, listening to us, pour a little out on the ground for this guy for losing that $10 bet, because he would have walked away with over 600. And I can't believe that his, his whole bet was squandered just within the seventh extra minute of the final game. He, he was seconds away from that victory money. If someone finds his Venmo, I'll, I'll send him money for a beer. <laughs> With the bet of the week this week, I just wanted to stay on brand now that I have a new favorite Serie A team. Be sure you're listening to this early to get this bet. We are going Roma minus 0.5 over Torino. Pretty straightforward. We just think Roma's going to win because as we have all established, obviously Roma is the best team in Serie A. They're going to go all the way next year. You know, obviously big Roma guy over here, so... Makes sense. We're going to go with Roma. Can't wait to watch that one, and we will celebrate that win next week. Nate, do we have a local pub shout-out for Pub of the Week? Yes, we do. Uh, This is one of our favorite segments. I know all of you guys are itching to try all of our recommendations. We've been hearing a lot about this once this lockdown quarantine is over. Um, But we have a great submission from a member of the FTFC out there, Kristen, this week. Uh, She is shouting out Fado's Irish pub here in Chicago. It is located at 100 West Grand Avenue in the River North area of Chicago. It's a traditional Irish pub. They got Guinness, whiskey, pub food favorites, and they have European soccer on a lot of their TVs. We've actually been there before. We watched United States Mexico playing at Soldier Field. We had kind of forgotten the game was in Chicago. Uh, if I recall, we were the only Team USA fans at the bar. It was all Mexico fans. Yeah, uh, their, their fans are a lot more passionate uh, than we are, unfortunately. But that's my favorite team as a homer to the United States. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, they ended up not winning that game. 
that sounds, that sounds about, about right. right. That's pretty on brand for us. Yeah, and some just some other information about uh, Fedos as well. Their name is Gaelic for long ago and is commonly used to start a story similar to Once Upon a Time. And they chose that because they want to tell a story of Ireland's rich and ever-evolving pub culture. And you got to love that. Absolutely. Well, once quarantine's officially over, we got games again. We should just try to go there for international games whenever USA plays. It's it's a fun place. So if you ever find yourself in River North in Chicago, uh, tell them the FTFC sent you. It's a great pub. Go upstairs. It's There's multi-levels to this bar. And I think you'd be surprised what you can find around every corner. It's just something a little bit uh, unique lo- looking. Nate, you got anything else for us on the docket today? Um, that's about it for us. Thanks again to all the listeners of the FTFC First Touch podcast out there. Remember to uh, rate us five stars, uh, subscribe, and follow us on social media at First Touch pod as well as ftfc pod on twitter and again uh, we'll leave you here as we leave you every week there is no room for racism